I can tell you this for a fact. I have seen scores of patients who started playing with a Ouija board and began getting messages and then started hearing voices. You know, so if you go looking for these things, you know, they will tell you they are some master guru. They will tell you they are some spiritual, somebody who can help you out or, or not. Yeah, they will tell you anything. You have to be very careful. Hello, everyone. That was an excerpt from my relatively recent interview with Dr. Jerry Mazinski, where he's talking about some of the negative effects he's seen of people using Ouija boards and other methods to communicate with the spirit world. Through his work as a psychotherapist in mental hospitals and prisons, it's something Dr. Mazinski had become very wary of and basically cautioned against. To balance things out and address some of Dr. Mazinski's concerns, today I have medium Claire Broad on the show. Claire is the author of the book Answers from Heaven and has given presentations specifically on how people can stay safe when engaging in this kind of contact. And that's principally what I'll be asking her about today. I also ask about some of the positive effects she's seen from her work in helping people with their grief and on how exactly she became a medium as it's not something most of us do. I was curious whether it's nature or nurture, etc. The one area we don't really touch upon is scientific or statistical evidence for mediumship. But if you're interested in that, I'll link to some of the work of Dr. Julie Byshell below. Claire's experience of mediumship has been overwhelmingly positive. And whilst advising people on how to keep safe, she's also keen to dispel some of the fear and myths around it. So here's Claire starting us off by talking about her first spontaneous mediumship experience as a child. So when I was four, I went to Richmond's uh, cemetery with my mum and my nan. Uh, my granddad had been passed now for a year. Uh, he, he died when I was uh, three and I was just coming up to around four. And we went to uh, the cemetery to just clean up his plot. He was cremated. So and I just was tagging along with my mum, as you do at that age. I mean, you know, I remember it clearly because it was quite a strange experience I had. Um, but in general, it's just a, a normal day, just, oh, well, we'll go shopping, we'll stop in there, we'll tidy up the plot, we'll go on with our life. Um, so I was playing with some stones and a vase uh, that had been left near a tap that you could just use if you wanted to lay fresh flowers. And um, whilst my mum and my nan were sort of off to the distance, doing what they were doing around my uh, granddad's plot. So I'm playing and um, just enjoying myself as you do at that age, not thinking about anything other than my, the fun that I'm having with stones and water. And, um, and then I just felt my granddad's presence all around me. Now, obviously I didn't have long to get to know him. I was three when he died and he was ill for most of my life. So I don't, the only memory I've, I have of him is in bed with terminal cancer. Uh, so I hadn't really developed a cl close relationship with him, but I knew enough to know it was him, if that makes sense. It was just him. Um, and I heard him saying to me, it was a, it was a willing me to please say, um, Claire, tell nanny, granddad says, I love you, Ive. And I, what strikes me now when I think back to this day is that I am just frustrated thinking, no, I'm not saying that, I'm playing. I mean, I had no concept of death, dying, 
my nan's feelings as to whether she would like to hear that. Uh, there was just no emotional depth in me at all. It was just, oh, there's granddad, he's saying that to me, and no, I'm playing. Um, so then the intensity uh, uh, heightened. I could just feel him in my every essence. I don't know how else to say it. So it's like a cloak of his personality just came all over me, and it, the words were just in my head, Claire, tell nanny, granddad says, I love you, I've. Now, the thing was, I called her nanny, my mum called her mum, and everybody else that I knew called her Connie because my nan didn't like the name Ivy because it reminded her of Poison Ivy. Mm. So I didn't even know who Ive was. So when I stood up and said that, I just was saying it ad verbatim. And uh, I do remember to this day the shocked look on, because I got frustrated, I just like, ah, oh, stand up, might as well say it so I can get on with playing. Um, stood up, delivered the message, and my and my nan and my mum were literally gobsmacked because I think for the reason that they knew I wouldn't say I've, and what four-year-old does that anyway? <laughs> um, you know, so that was the introduction to it. Now, if I go back a little bit, my nan had her own experiences, which I would later find out. So she took me seriously, and. Um, I grew up then very, I would say, very normally. I had lots of different types of experiences as I think back, but my actual upbringing isn't of a spiritualist nature. Um, my mum was going to Church of England. My dad was atheist. I wasn't forced to have any kind of spiritual beliefs. Um, uh, but my uh, teenagers started to unfold more activity and then things got more and more interesting that forced me to try and look for answers and explore so that was the first introduction but then through a very normal growing up years there were little insights and things happening it wasn't till my teenagers I really started to understand there's more going on here okay and, and you were psychologically able to embrace that right that you were able to say okay there are spirits and there's such a thing as mediumship and I seem to have an aptitude for that. No, I didn't. I didn't even. I didn't consider myself a medium at all. I. I. It was just that when I had that experience when I was four, I just took that totally in my stride. Uh, I think because my mum and my nan didn't poo-poo it, but they also didn't entertain it. Mm -hmm. They just accepted it. So I didn't have any. I didn't receive any fear from them. It was comforting to my nan. And then as I grew older and I started to have um, things happening through my teenagers, I was frightened because I right. didn't understand it. Um, but I never went to church. I, mean, I did go to church when I was younger because my mum went to church. But I started to find in my teenagers and even before that, to be honest, that I'm thinking, no, this isn't for me. I don't believe in supernatural beings. I actually considered myself atheist along with my dad. Um, and uh, but the evidence kept building so just things we couldn't explain kept happening through my teenage years and uh, it's, it's like synchronicity other mediums came into our lives so my mum for instance needed a part-time job um, around my school life and the one job going in the little village we lived in um, was a job at the national federation of spiritual healers and so she then was put in contact with mediums and healers and never even knew this all existed. And at the same time, this is going on in my life. So she's then able to say to people, 
this is what's going on in our house at the moment. Does anyone have any advice they can give? So we, there was this very gentle introduction. So all I can say to you is it was never poo-pooed and it was never encouraged. So it, I, I didn't have fear around it. I had my own fear around not understanding what was going on, but no one was enforcing, reinforcing fear into my life around the subject. Everyone was very level-headed. If anything, my dad was like, no, you know, there's natural explanations. Right. Um, and then I, um, I, I started work and a lady asked me if I would go for a reading with her because she was nervous. So I just said, oh, yeah, I'm really interested in this. I've had some really strange happenings going on around me over the past few years. Um, no, you know, I'd like to know more about it. And I went for a reading with this lady and the medium uh, read for me and told me everything that had been going on through my teenage years, all the happenings. It's a long story. I'm giving it to you in a very condensed way. Um, but in that reading, she gave me so much evidence that I realised, oh my goodness, you know, it is something more. Because she's just told me everything that has been going on and re uh, sort of validating okay. that it wasn't in my mind. Okay, and then um, you actually had a career in the, just to bring people up to like where you are now as a working as a professional medium, it's not something you went into leaving school, right? You went into a normal kind of That's right. corporate world. And was this something you did in addition to that through that period and, and became a professional medium at, at some point? Yes. So the lady, Sheila Thomas, who'd done me a reading, she said to me, you know, you could do this if you wanted to. You could be a medium. And um, your, your grandfather, who's coming through to it in the reading, is asking if you would develop, if I could teach you, please. And I said, I uh, <laughs> don't really think that's true. And um, I, I turned my back on it for a bit. And when, so in my early 20s, I was just busy going out nightclubbing, being normal, you know, um, and wanting a, a, a sort of a career that I could feel proud of. So I went uh, into Reebok, first of all, and then I went into other corporate companies, into advertising, Leo Burnett. I had a seven-year um, brilliant career in advertising. And then that led me into Disney. So for all of my 20s, I was going the very conventional route of corporate um, career, climbing the career ladder, earning good money, and not really thinking in spiritual terms, certainly not of myself as a medium. But underneath it all, eventually, I decided, oh, this stuff is still going on. I'm interested in it. I'm going to go and sit with Sheila. So I, I coincided the two things. I used to just sit in Sheila Thomas's circle and um, learn what mediumship was about from her perspective and at the same time live in a really normal life. So you're asking me questions. I'm realizing now I was just able to balance the two okay. quite naturally. I'm very grounded, I think. Yeah, and it's interesting that you had a father who presented that more materialist perspective as well and yeah. probably prompted you to I've, consider those things, you know. I have been, I admire mediums who do not question their faith. I have been absolutely, throughout my whole career as a medium, if you want to call it that, to me it's a calling, but um, I have been... Um, conflicted I suppose is the word between my analytical mind 
and the experience. I hear the voice over my shoulder telling me none of this can be true because mainstream science says it can't be, and yet my experience is telling me something else. Well, yeah, Claire, I quite admire that, actually, that with people who live with that conflict in whatever way they do, but in this in particular, I find that's very, that's like really interesting to me to have <laughs> that polarity. I'd love to have a sense of how much of this um, ability you have to make this connection was just there from a young age and you were born with it essentially and how much did you have to work to still the mind and allow that to come through was it nature or nurturing the ability do, do you have a sense of how much you had to put in yeah i it's definitely nature to some degree but not very much for me if that makes sense mm. <laughs> so um I put it this way, I'm guessing that someone like Beethoven was just born with a natural flair for music and poured out of his being and he could have, you know, he would have just going to be amazing whatever he did. For me, I was like um, somebody who's just very good at being creative with art but needs to go to art school and college to really understand how to be a good artist. So my, I mentioned that my nan had had her own experiences yeah. So I know that genetically it's come down the family because we later found out, ironically, when I was, I'd been working by this point as a medium, that my nan's nan was a medium. Um, so my great great gran was a medium. She didn't advertise that fact, but she was known for it around her yeah. area. Um, and then my nan, who would never have considered herself a medium at all and was not religious in, in any shape or form, she saw spirit. So she would see him as real as anything. Um, now, I don't have it that easy. So my nan, I think, could have been a better medium than me. She, it, it was very um, on the surface for her. For me, I actually... Um, had experienced, like I said, when I was four, and then it was very quiet after that until I went into teenage years, and it wasn't obvious. It was signs. It was physical things going on, but not me actually hearing communication. It was things going on, happening to me in the environment, but not me interacting with it. So I then had to go and learn how to do it for myself. So I would say I've worked really, really hard at learning to still the mind, understand consciousness, understand that entering the stillness is where we access all of spirit and develop my mediumship like a muscle. Right. So it's not come easy to me. And I wouldn't say that I would put myself out there as the world's most accurate medium, <laughs> um, but I'm honest about it. This is my journey. Come and learn from me. Sure. So are you off the perspective then that this is something that people, if they have the inclination to do so, can open up for themselves to some degree? Like, I mean, I, I, you mentioned art college. I think it's interesting that most people can develop more artistic ability than like they think they can, right? It's, it's, it's something that the general perception is you either have it or you don't, but that's not, that's not the case. But of course, a lot of people might not be inclined to. So do you think if people have the inclination to, they can open up this connection to spirit more? Yes, we're all spirit. All of us are spirit. That means, therefore, we're all connected. We've all got a physical body, which is an antenna that is interacting with its environment all the time, whether you're conscious of that or not. So, yes, we can all interact with the spirit dimensions. We are spirit. How can we not? The difference between a medium 
and everyday person in the street maybe is that they're not consciously aware they're doing that the medium just learns how to consciously okay. do that and to strengthen that link okay i would like to move on and ask you um, before we get into the, the sort of subject main of the interview i'd just like to get a sense of the impact you see your work having okay because i had Shalini Barra Lucas on recently that'll be out by the time this goes out and delightful to talk to her for all sorts of reasons but one of the major ones was a really clear indication of the effect the positive effect mediumship can have if there was someone who was after suffering a bereavement actually at the point of considering suicide and mediumship was one of the things that reshaped her outlook on that um and this is I think like the major like area of interest for future study on this is how, how does mediumship affect grief essentially mm -hmm. so maybe just you could give some anecdotes of where you particularly because i think the typical thing to ask would be can you give anecdotes of where you've had an experience that's really proved mediumship like you'd be able to say oh, the wedding ring is under the back post of the bed or something and i'm i'm sort of i think that's been done quite a lot and you've mentioned it before so i'm just going to accept like the validity <laughs> for the purpose of this interview. if people want to check that they can go and look at other things i'm more interested in the um the positive effect you've seen it have on people could you maybe give an example that is yeah particularly pertinent? i'm so blessed basically to receive messages from people all the time because as the medium you don't know what you're saying if you're a true clear channel for spirit you're passing on information and not emotionally attached to it. You're delivering information that you don't understand the impact it's having. So it's only when somebody writes back to you and lets you know, or, you know, contacts you to say, wow, this has really impacted positively on my life that you can understand the depth of really the power behind it. Um, and I am blessed to always be getting messages like that. So um, I've, that to me that's why I do this work because I am constantly receiving um, people telling me don't give up what you're doing there's something in this and it's changed my life so um, I can remember um, there's a client of mine who had, a, um, had, had lost a partner I'm sure she won't mind me just sharing briefly without sharing details but she was a successful businesswoman and uh, she'd been a very successful businesswoman in, in her whole career where while, while she was married the two of them were in it together she lost her partner she had a reading with me and um she basically changed her whole life and she sold the business now i'm not saying you've got to do this but she just said it made her realize she had an awakening it made her realize that the work that she'd been doing had been fine but there was no depth to it and she sold the business and invested her money into yoga, spiritual enlightenment and teaching others to, through yoga, because that was her passion, to um, find spirituality that way. So, I mean, that was huge because she changed the whole of her life. Um, again, the same kind of feelings, sentiments that you're saying, people are quite often get told people have, were considering whether they should exit this world because they had lost their way because they were missing that person so much. I often get messages to that degree, which shocks me because I don't, mostly I've got to say, Richard, that most of the people I see have waited about a year to a year and a half. So I never really see people that are in the early throes mm. of grief unless 
somebody happens to die two weeks before they see me or something like that, as has okay. happened. Um, so most people, I, I actually don't encourage people to go and see a medium in the early stages of grief. So most people aren't coming telling me they're going to commit suicide. They're not generally vulnerable in that way. They've already moved through their stages of grief. But I definitely do receive those emails telling me I've changed my life because of this. So it's in many ways, but it seems to be transformative. That's the word I'm looking for. Mediumship has got the power for if somebody, if it's done well and the person's ready to accept it, it's got the ability to, to help someone transform the way they look at life so they can go on and live their best life. And that's what I try to achieve. Okay. Fantastic. I'll return to why you don't recommend mediumship in the early stages after bereavement in a while to make a mental note of that. Okay. So to move on then to the, the sort of main thrust of the interview, as I said to you before we started recording, we're, we're maybe at a point in time where over the remainder of the century, your kind of work might become, has the potential to become much more normalized okay it's something that people would be maybe reticent at the moment to say that they went to see a medium after mm -hmm. a bereavement okay it's very possible for me to imagine that changing in the way that mm -hmm. the world has changed massively in the past 200 years this could be the next kind of revolution through opening up through the kind of work you're doing the more spontaneous after-death communication research and near-death experience this world and the next might become much closer for us that has the potential to happen and and great and i think people lots of people who are self-included doing fantastic work in that way one of the things i've been interested to explore in that is the potential pitfalls and the dangers and the people who express that they'd say hang on a minute i had a really negative experience with this so we can be conscious and aware of that as we proceed in the way that you know, I like having a telephone and I use it for good purposes. This, this whole call is dependent on my telephone, but I also get people phoning me up offering to fix my computer because it's got a virus on apparently. And I get people phoning me up telling me I won the Australian lottery and I get emails and I don't read my junk mail, but if I did, I know it would be, you know, I, I've come into a vast inheritance or I have some love interest in a foreign land that uh, I didn't know about. And <laughs> there, there are scams. Go on. Mm -hmm. we, we don't stop using technology because there are scams, but we have to be aware um, right. that you haven't won the Australian lottery if you haven't bought a ticket for it and so on. Um, now, what I hear from right back to the time of Emmanuel Swedenborg, two, three hundred years ago, there have been these, and man before really too, there have been these warnings about the dangers of engaging with the spirit realm. And people today report negative experiences they they come away sometimes initially for positive experience but then feeling like they've um they might have met with a, a lost spirit is one way of categorizing it of um someone who's who's died and not realized that and then gone around and attached to another body um a hungry ghost figure a spirit that's trying to feed its addictions to drugs or alcohol through those in bodies here or some people feel they've met something more malevolent again, like a demonic entity. And I recently interviewed Dr. Jerry Mazinski, a psychotherapist, worked at a, a mental hospital and a prison for his whole career, who came to believe that a lot of the voices that plagued the people there with 
continuous negative self-depreciating thoughts interjected into their minds were coming from spirits that were on that vibrational frequency. So I'd just like to ask you broadly about that, Claire, if that's, if you've had any experience, anything like that ever arisen for you, have you encountered it in your work and what you would advise people to do about that who may um, either be, be worried about it and it might be putting them off engaging either through a medium or in any other way with this connection or who feel that they're being affected by such things and want to gain freedom. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, what I have learned in 23 years of doing and learning about mediumship is that our minds and our spirit, our state of being are the most important thing in the whole of the universe, if that makes sense. We, we are it. And what happens in our world, I believe in our physical world, is we buy into the illusion of the fact that everything is purely physical and we lose sight of the fact that we are spiritual beings first and foremost. So we're only just now beginning to understand the importance of even tackling things like mental health. Actually, we should have been addressing mental health well before we address physical health, even in this world, in order to be able to have a full and happy life. Until you've worked on the mental aspect, you don't, you bump up against lots of neg negativity in this world. The, the negative thoughts you have, the negative mindsets you hold, the things that you believe about yourself or don't believe that you can have are informing your experience here. And I really do believe as above, so below. And it's the same in spirit because we are spirit. And so in spirit, if you're holding or identifying with negativity, if you're enjoying the drama of negativity, if you feel it's uh, giving you some kind of identity or you get something back from it, even if you've just bought into the fear of it being real, then you align yourself in some way, shape or form with it. But it's always, all spirit communication is always a collaboration, always. So at some level, even if it's unaware or subconscious identifying with negativity and drama, there's some um, okaying this in you that says, yes, I, I accept that. Uh, and it sounds crazy because you wouldn't logically mm -hmm. accept it. But at the subconscious level, it might just be the case of, oh, this is my luck, life's so terrible you know this is gonna this cause cool, cool sidetrack negativity you you're on as you use the word that frequency but as soon as you understand that in this world and the next that your state of mind is everything and that you hold the power within you there is nothing to fear because you don't align with it anymore um you know i i actually in my 20s suffered with panic attacks terribly uh, i had a physical condition that brought anxiety on and I suffered with panic attacks just for a short space of time, but enough to make me feel I could become agoraphobic if I didn't get on top of it. And I very, and it had nothing to do with my spiritual life at all. Everything to do with my physical health, my body not responding properly to food that was going in and me passing out. And the fear of me passing out in public just led to panic. And I learned very quickly that fear was controlling everything and robbing me of everything. And when I looked the fear in the face and faced up to it, it all disappeared. It all showed itself to be an illusion. 
And it's exactly the same with spirit. So I do not ever come into contact with negativity through my spiritual work because my mindset and my way of thinking is not in a negative uh, way. I'm not thinking down a negative line. So I like attracts like, and I just, it doesn't even touch me. However, if I bumped into it inadvertently, for instance, I went to Leeds Castle once and I um, you know, wasn't expecting to bump into a, an entity there and I didn't, it didn't feel positive. I have also learned, because I know that I am in control of my own state of being, that I can just switch off that communication. I don't have to engage. And now I have been taught by spirit how to handle this. And the reason and the way they've taught me to handle it is to go into a space of love and peace. When you're in love and peace and centered within you, you naturally move far beyond the negative frequencies. So it's not even a difficult thing. I suppose it's difficult if you don't believe you can move into a state of being of lovingness and kindness and compassion and and uh, if I do that, however, where it makes sense to me, you know, if, if you feel that because you call on an image of Jesus for you to access that love within you, fine. For me, I do it by thinking about the love I have for my children and I move into a space okay. of power and love and I'm above it. Um, so okay, you don't so have to fear it. I, I, I hear this is what you're saying, but I'm just going to get you to state it clearly in the, in the lifetime that you've spent working in this field. Yeah. You've seen just overwhelmingly to the point where it's at like total um the phenomenon to be positive both for yourself and those you've interacted with and it's people have come away benefited from it i've had i can count on one hand in 23 years something that i would i don't even like the word negative something that i had a response of fear to and when i responded to that fear it disappeared um at the 95 percent 98 percent way outweighs in positivity and benefit and healing and just an awesome inspiration of life and understanding that this isn't this isn't all there is that knowledge and the transformative power it has like you're saying about the internet outweighs the chance of rubbing up against something negative because i got my eyes open sure and i, I just asked you to like restate that because I think it's the, the perception you would pick up from culture that a lot of these experiences are hauntings and negative and it, you know mm. negative things coming through Ouija boards. And it was only when that I started sells. It. <laughs> yeah, of course. And it, it was only when I started looking into it and, and read about the spontaneous apps deaf communication phenomenon. I thought, wow, wow, like the vast, vast, vast majority of these experiences are um, overwhelmingly healing. Like people's relatives popping up at the foot of the bed to wish them well and tell them they're okay and that that's it you know so it didn't make sense to me if this was all like a demonic phenomenon that demons mm. are running around acting as kind of grief therapists you know it, it's, i don't even think i buy into demons do you know i do believe that humans create negativity around them i had a, i can give you an example of this i had a client come to see me once she walked into my house totally deflated her body language said it all. She was clearly suffering um, with her, with it was a depressive feeling. I feel she was very depressed. I didn't know that until she walked into, the, into my house, but she brought that air of heaviness and depression with her. And she was being very nice to me, 
but there was just that sense of from her body language and the energy about her of that heaviness. After the sitting, which had gone hugely well because her spirit loved ones really wanted her to heal and to have an understanding that, that, you know, that life was greater than she was imagining it to be and that her loved ones are still with her. Her body language, she's, the, she's probably the only person that I can remember having a, literally a spontaneous healing. Her, her whole body lifted. And as she stood, she even said to me, I feel light. I could skip out of here. I can't believe how great I feel. Her face had lifted from looking old and drawn to fresh. Now, it was the thoughts she'd been holding that had been pulling her down. What I hadn't appreciated was that was an energy in its own right. And she dropped it in my house. So she left well. And then that evening, my daughter, who was very young at the time, only two, had an experience uh, where things were going off in her bedroom. I thought the batteries had gone out of her toys, but she was having a nightmare in the evening telling me, um, oh, well, not telling me, in her, in her sleep, she was speaking, going, no, no. So I walked in there to comfort her and I could feel this heaviness. And I thought, hang on, that's the same heaviness that I experienced earlier in the day. So I stood in the center of the room and just said, in a mother's love, you will move out of here. I'm transforming you into the light. Um, you, you, I'm bringing love around here. You cannot exist in this space. The, the feeling of heaviness went straight through my body and out. And it was a feeling of darkness and it was gone. Now there wasn't a spirit entity there. It wasn't an intelligence. It wasn't a spirit being, I felt. I knew it was the energy of this woman. It had almost taken a form of its own and was looking for somewhere else to be. So we have to take responsibility for our own energy as well. This is what I mean. We are spirit. And I don't think it's cut and dry as, um, you know, it's all evil spirit beings. I don't believe that. But the amazing thing that that experience taught me was I am totally in control of this. It's in my life or it's not in my life. I can own it or not own it, and I can clear it. So you've always felt a sense of autonomy around this experience. That if, let's say you wanted to withdraw from yes. your work, that you could say, no, I'm done. I'm going to go work selling ice cream now. That's it. And, and yep. that Absolutely. would be it. That you're, you're in control of, you don't feel this is an imposition. No, I have, I have absolutely learned how to set boundaries and I absolutely understand that mediumship is a collaboration. Can't be any other way. Okay. Because that's, and I think that's like, that's a big thing that people are troubled by that they, something will enter into them and they won't be able to get it back out. And indeed that's, that is the experience of people who, you know, like will suffer from what you might conventionally call schizophrenia. So that's what Shannon Zinsky was talking about. Unfortunately, I think for those souls, they've had an experience in their life that is making them experience life as a negative experience and they're in alignment with it. Uh, maybe nothing for their own doing, but they are. Most of the people that I meet, most people that haven't got a mental disorder, even, and fascinatingly, one of my students has uh, is bipolar, um, even the people that I find sometimes the people that have got mental disorders, if you want to put it like that, are more in tune with spirit, but even they can have really positive experiences. Yeah. I think we get 
fast, um, pull down on the negative stuff. We allow the fear to control something that ultimately is mostly transformative and healing. Sure, sure. Oh, the, the one more point that's a point of concern for people that I'd like to ask you about is the idea yeah. of deception, okay? Uh, in the same way that the, the email scammer, the phone scammer, isn't who they say they are. They're pretending to be someone else. And sometimes they'll pretend to be your friend. Like I got, I got a, an email from my friend Phil who was apparently lost in Eastern Europe and he needed money to get home, right? And then I, I phoned him <laughs> in like a mile away, you know? Um, yeah, but that was that. I hadn't seen that one before. And for a moment, he just traveled a lot. So for a moment, it's like, oh, was he really lost? Because it was his email address. And and this is cool. um, this is a big, you know, so it, it plays in that sense of of compassion and wanting to take care of your friends or, or whatever else. Um, so this is, uh, I think, a big concern for people um, that they they will get involved with. Um, either it's a relative coming through, or it's some sort of spirit guide. Okay that people report that turning out to be not who they thought it was originally and it's some sort of more malevolent, malevolent entity that's aggressing against them and um i heard jerry mazinski say this sort of come up in his his practice that he felt the negative more negative entities would present themselves in a way that would appeal to the person they were trying to to victimize and also from people who have been involved in spiritualism and left and gone into christianity or whatever um now we talked about this a bit before the interview, you, you talked about the feeling that comes with these kind of contacts, mm -hmm. how, how spiritualism, spiritual contact is a, a, a sense-led thing or a felt-led thing. Could you, I, I thought it was very interesting, so could you maybe talk about any, any experience you've had of that and how you feel you could navigate through that safely? Yes. So all spirit, I, I don't recommend anybody just sit there and open the door to spirit who is um uneducated in it or being um you know ha has got no one with any experience leading them or guiding them or giving the benefit of their experience so mediumship spirit communication needs to be learned just like any skill or any you know um subject that you embark on you don't just throw yourself in and hope for the best but when it's done well and done with discipline commitment to your own spiritual growth and self-realization because this is what it's all about the spirit world returned to us because they want us to self-realize um then at the end of the day i feel that we can um leave behind those concerns of imposters because we can sense for ourselves we have a develop we develop a mediumship connection ourselves we feel spirit around us. I'm not doing very well at this. Let me just start this again. I'm going to explain it like this in simple terms. When you walk into a room and two people have had an argument and you walk into the atmosphere and they may not have been having a beef with you, but they've had a beef of each other and you walk in and you sense and feel it, your body automatically is telling you there's something up here and I need to respond. When you do mediumship of any kind, it's the same thing, you're dealing with spirit. So when I'm connecting with spirit, I can feel the intentions, the underlying wants um, and interests of the spirit person. So whether you want to say, oh, it's a spirit guide or it's not a spirit guide, I really don't care whether it's a spirit guide or just a light. <laughs> you know, what I care about is the intention behind it. 
if it's uplifting, if it's advice that is giving healing, if it is words that carry a resonance to them that are transformative, then you can tell straight away what the intent of that spirit person is. And same with an imposter. If they're pretending to be your nan, well, they will show themselves for that because to even want to be able to do that shows that you're coming at this from a completely different level of intention. So you're going to trick yourself up for one. And all then you have to do is just say, thank you very much. Not trusting this connection. Goodbye. Off you go. Um, but if it really is your nan, and this is the overriding thing, and, and, and I don't believe that most spirits are you're being imposters. What a waste of your time on that side of life. I mean, most people aren't going to be interested in that at all. Um, but when it really is your nan, the quality of the information and the um, upliftment that is given, you can recognise your nan. So I don't think it's, I think people worry, again, it's fear. It's fear about something that is so rare and such a small part of spirit communication that you would miss out on all the positivity for the fear of worrying about that. Because if uh, there have been occasions when I've um, been communicating with spirit where I've just thought, you know what? This isn't flowing today. I'm not getting something out of this. It's not going where I want it to go goodbye thank you very much you know and that's it i'm not holding any fear i'm not holding any uh, thoughts of oh no i'm going to be followed or someone's going to be obsessed with me from spirit it's, it's not there and i know it sounds you said something very interesting you said that i'm so sorry i can't remember his name that the gentleman said that leave spirit alone completely because of the negative experiences yeah, that you can like have it's yeah i don't want to put words in his mouth but that's certainly what i oh I, no along yeah. that lo those lines that was, yeah it's fairly accurate well, yeah. that, i'm thinking about it and I'm actually thinking that's kind of what i'm saying here but in a different way <laughs> i don't hold that that is going to happen so it doesn't so i it's not that i have to leave spirit behind it's that I'm not aligning myself with that. And I've, I'm strong in my inner self. I'm confident in my inner self. I am a loving, compassionate being. And I am not attracting that kind of um, attention because I'm not in alignment with it. So it doesn't exist to me. And my spirit communicator who's taught me, my spirit guiding, um, as I call him, White Feather, I've given him a label, taught me just don't engage. Just the same as in a child having a tantrum doesn't help them if you engage, let them, let them have a tantrum when they realize it doesn't get them anywhere, they realize that's not the best behavior. In spirits, the same thing. If they're not getting something back from me, not even engagement, there is no, no need. So I, I don't hold any fear about spirit. And because the benefits that I see in my life and the emails that I get and the and the healing that I see through the thousands of readings that I've done that have been overwhelmingly positive, have been so transformative, I don't, it's not even worth me worrying about. To me, it is just the same as you say about the internet. Yes, there are risks. Yes, I need to keep my eyes open to them, but actually just a few steps put in place, put pay to that, and then I can enjoy the knowledge that there is. Because I actually believe that when I die, I'm better prepared for having this knowledge than I am to be catapulted into spirit with no knowledge. Okay. Okay. Uh, just to, 
to bring this section to a close, um, you mentioned before about you call upon the image of your children and the love you have for them, and that's kind of your like an anchor, a centering anchor to that sense of love and compassion. But you mentioned other people call upon Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we live in a, a Christian culture, um, a culture yeah. massively influenced by Christianity. So one phenomenon I see um, emerging is people having negative experiences and calling upon Jesus um, and, and that having a positive effect in resolving them. Okay, and that's great. I'm you know, really happy that people, people do that. Um, well, I, I, don't think, I think concern is the wrong word, but like what, let's say, let's just say concerns me about that is a, a railroading of people's um, intellectual and spiritual path after that because of the interpretation of that experience okay so if you if i'm having this negative experience maybe of of something visiting me in the night that's scaring me and i'm having sleep paralysis whatever i call upon jesus christ and it goes away like any experience it's very positive or negative there can be an openness afterwards for anyone who can offer an explanation of that and i'm not opposed to anyone taking any explanation but i like i think it's right and proper that people have a choice of explanations they can select and not be railroaded by the the absence of them into one. So I do see a phenomenon of people um, having negative experiences in this way um, with spirits, sometimes with like the UFO phenomenon, and then becoming, because of the uh, calling upon Jesus, then becoming quite evangelical Christians afterwards. You might have um, maybe a different way of interpreting that. And indeed you, you mentioned that this is something you've written a bit about in your new book that's coming out. Could you maybe speak a bit about that? Um, why you think it is that that, assuming you agree that that's something that works and I think you do, why it is that that's working and having the effect that it has from your perspective? So why the love of ho- calling upon my, my, uh, a, a figure like, like people, yeah, calling on a bigger role. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing is that um, Jesus is seen as all being, all knowing, all loving, and has got their best interests at heart. He's everybody's best interests at heart. I think Jesus actually was a fabulous spiritual teacher. And a lot of the um, knowledge that comes through from Christianity, when you strip it right back to its truth and just look at the words that are said, hold, uh, hold a lot of power. Um, the danger comes not in believing in a Jesus, but in somebody else telling you, but this is the way to do it. And you've got to now follow this line of things in order to be safe. And that is self-identifying with a new fear. So when somebody has a negative experience, if you want to call it a negative experience with spirit, then they um, they may not actually have had a negative experience. Like you're saying, it could be sleep paralysis, but they imagine it to be a negative experience based on cultural conditioning. And then they go and find a religious belief that makes them feel safe because they're told it's this, this, and this, and you have to do this now and you'll be okay. Then they are lulled into a false sense of security where they actually then may be controlled by more fear. So we're not actually helping anybody. What we need to do is just present them with the information. So in my book, what I write about is that actually when you 
it's okay to believe in Jesus then, but go to Jesus yourself. Don't go through someone else. So go and look at the teachings for yourself and you will see actually that Jesus was doing a lot of spirit communication. And when you start to educate yourself and realize the early Christians were only doing what I was doing, what I'm doing here on a daily basis, then you start to understand that maybe I haven't understood everything I should have done, but I'm coming to the information myself. Does this make sense, Richard? Totally, yeah. And we were talking before the recording, like it's very interesting to read the Gnostic Gospels, like the Gospel of Thomas, in that light that they were being channeled. Absolutely. In some ways, they, they, it makes more sense of some of the things that, that's said in them. The thing I find fascinating is most religious texts across the world from all ancient cultures have been accepted as, as gospel, and yet they were all channeled from spirit. And the Gnostic Gospels in particular, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and the Gospel of St. Thomas, point the, um, the spiritual student towards having their own connection with spirit and learning how to meditate, open the third eye, to communicate with spirit. It's clearly written in those gospels when you can understand it. Now the thing is, and here's the rub, those texts were written in mystical form because they were in the mystery schools. They didn't share their knowledge with everybody. You had to show your worth. So they're written in a way that when you've been hands-on with spirit, you understand what's being said. But to the lay person, you can't necessarily see the teaching in it. And to the church, again, it was open to interpretation. And interestingly, I've done readings for a, a vicar who's told me that in the church, when they're learning, they are told to learn to channel the Holy Spirit as mm. part of their learning. So, so in Christianity, and you're right, we're in a Christian nation, Actually, within the church, there's a lot of communion with spirit going on. It's being done. Um, but what it doesn't do is empower the person to have that connection for themselves. And my standpoint is the alternative to just, uh, if you see Jesus and it helps you, you don't have to then join the church. Go and find out about Jesus for yourself. Empower yourself. Have the relationship with spirit for yourself because we shouldn't be following anybody else. We're all on our own journey. That's where the empowerment comes. That's where the strength comes. And that's where you then rise above all fear, control in this world and the next. Okay, thank you very much, Claire. I'd just like to finish off on a, a different and more upbeat tangent, <laughs> if you like. You I love this interview. It's been meaty. <laughs> great. Yeah, no, I, I guess it's been fantastic. Um, it's a real privilege to be able to sit down and have this conversation um you mentioned your your guide white feather right? yes and this is native american type of figure okay again we were talking just before about i, I said i'd ask you how you interpret that like is in a, in a sense of and how you interpret wider experiences in this realm of being literal or mythical okay mm -hmm. so do you feel that White Feather was literally a Native American who lived at some point in the past and has remained as a Native American in the, the spirit world um, for the, you know, what must be several hundred years of our time and is now imparting spiritual advice? Or do you feel that there's something more kind of anti-realist that like what we, because we, we take the material world as being like the real thing, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and we, we tend to think in material terms as opposed to symbolic or mythical terms. Um, so, uh, yeah, what, what's your take on 
on that aspect of like that connection and, and the, the spirit world in general, the mythical, the, the real, was a very broad question there. But I'll just... <laughs> no, no, actually, I love that. Because actually what I'm thinking here as you're talking to me is, um, it comes down to consciousness, doesn't it? So when we're in this physical world, we can only perceive the physical reality of things. But actually, <laughs> when you strip it back, nothing around us in the physical world is solid anyway. The only way to perceive the physical world is through a non-physical uh, um, thing called consciousness, awareness, perception, whatever word you want to use. So actually, much of what you experience in the physical world isn't even real anyway. It's just the way we perceive it as real that counts. And I, and I actually believe that's the same in spirit. So it, I believe there's an element of living in the contradiction here. For me, Whitefeather says that he once lived here on earth in native american form that that is where he and i first interacted and um, so there was a connection a soul connection that formed and that in spirit then he had a vested interest in me still as i came into this form however he also talks about there not being any time and that all things happening at once so he gives me the um he gives me the the image of himself in native american form because i need something simple okay. to yeah. identify with but actually in spirit he's much more than that so he's he's native american and not native american as i am human and spirit and i think we have to get rid of the and and or and okay so both. is that is that your sense if you don't mind me popping a couple more philosophical questions <laughs> is that your sense because one of the things i've um, I, I thought about this, okay, and explored a bit, is just how much of my identity is constructed from stuff in this life that I'm living now, okay? So whole physical appearance, right, which is a big part yeah. of me, the body, okay? But I die, that's gone, okay? And how yeah. much of who I am is my experience and the interests I have and the hobbies I did, and that's all gone, gone, gone. Like, so when I strip it back, now I get a sense of a core me that was there when I was four as my kind of earliest memories. And, but, but a lot of me seems to come from this life. So when we, when we talk about communicating with loved ones who have passed on, do you have a yeah. sense that they appear to us maybe as we knew them and can connect with them, but they've gone back to something that's greater than who they were in this life that we would maybe yes. be able to grasp from where we yes. were. Yeah. yeah. For instance, they often come and show me themselves in their 20s or 30s, in their prime, wherever it was in their life where they were in their prime. I'm seeing an image of them like that. Many of them are quite reticent, actually, to show me the last few days of their life when they were all skeletal and very gaunt and they don't identify with that image of themselves. Yet they have to go there so that their loved one can recognise, yeah, that's what happened to oh, them. Okay. That's what okay. they look like. So I believe that spirit, as all things, is perception. And so the way that we show ourselves in spirit is how we identify with ourselves and nothing more. It's an, it, it's an idea, a conscious perception of who we are. And I should imagine if in time, as we move away and forget our earthly life, we take on a different form because we're no longer attached to looking earthly um, maybe it's more fluid maybe it's energy maybe i mean i'm open to it all i don't know i i can't remember how frustrating is it <laughs> but i do get a sense that spirit beings are much more than just their earthly incarnation but 
interestingly, those who return to us do show themselves as they were. And it seems to be that in spirit, they still take that form in some way, shape or form. So I, again, it's, it's both. They can probably be who, who they want to be because it's, it's thought projection. For, I'm, I'm kind of banding around now with the idea that spirit and consciousness are interrelated in some way. Um, and, uh, in the dream state, we can be anything we want to be. And I kind of feel it's along those lines. They're not limited in the way that we are. Yeah. But in order for us to understand them, they have to show an identity. It's liberating, actually, isn't it? Because if you actually think of yourself in dream state, you don't look at yourself, do you, generally? You're looking out at everything yeah. else going on. Yeah. And I actually think that's what spirit is, a point of attention. Does that make sense? Perfect, so yeah. for me, well, in me in spirit, I am a point of attention on something. Where I place my attention is what I see and experience. And I don't have to be physical, but if I place my attention on feeling physical, that's what I experience. It's just come to me. <laughs> I've summed it, that's it. <laughs> okay, and then absolutely, finally, Claire, just very openly, what has doing this work left you with as a sense of like the big questions about life and meaning and, and so on having this connection to a realm that most of us don't have in the same way. Um, like the, what insight has that given you into like big picture questions? Like, okay, well, the most important thing is I don't fear death so I can live my life fully I also completely appreciate every day interactions that I have with people, even my lazy moments, even the bad days. I can think I've been allowed to have a bad day. I've been given this day, this moment. So my, I fully appreciate life and I find that I'm happier for it. So it's very interesting. I was talking to Chris Rowe, who is the, um, director of, uh, I want to make sure I give him the right title, but he's, he's basically chief head honcho of, of um, psychology at Northampton University. And he's been studying mediums. And um, he was saying in one of his talks that mediums, you could forgive them for being mentally, having a mental disorder, psychosis, because they're hearing voices. But weirdly, in the studies, mediums come out as more balanced more well, happier, in general, enjoying their life and making the most of it, more than even the psychology students who tend to be having the most problems. Yeah. <laughs> so what mediumship has done for me, and it's not just mediumship, it's that knowing, and there's a difference between believing and knowing, but that knowing that we are far more than we recognize ourselves as here, generally, has given me a, a passion for life, the the permission to go and live my life to the fullest and I have a contentment and just an inner peace in there and strength that allows me to tackle what comes my way and be philosophical about, be, be philosophical about it and make the most of it. Everything is, nothing is lost, everything, even the negative experiences and we all have them, we're in this physical world, everything has a purpose I can learn from. So for me that fear of not knowing that death is an illusion and that I am something of an eternal nature, I can cope. 
I may, for all I know, have died 50,000 times already and I'm here. So it just gives you that ability to be able to move forward and embrace your life. It's made me much more compassionate, much more caring, much more loving and patient. And we talked a lot in this interview about the negativity, but actually that I truly believe with a passion that when we can understand who we really are, which is a spiritual being at our core, then we will naturally awaken and open up to wanting to express ourselves in higher and higher expressions of ourselves. We, we, all of us want to be the best we can. At the moment, there's a, sh a limit on what the best you can be is. It's the physical best. But you can, when you understand that your spiritual nature is what you take with you into spirit, then you're working on that and developing that. It's wonderful. I don't know why not everybody wants it. <laughs> maybe I'm, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm missing something. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much indeed, Claire. Maybe just finish by telling people about the, your book that's out now and the one that's due to come out very soon probably will, um, and may well be out when people watch this because, you know, who knows when people are watching it. So tell people <laughs> about your books. Thank you. Okay, so the first book that's out now at the, as we speak is called Answers from Heaven. That's a collaboration with best-selling author Teresa Chung and myself. Now that book um, is the researcher and the practitioner coming together, exploring the topic of spirit communication and the benefits that many people have from the contact that they have. You talked about spontaneous spirit contact or after-death communication. So the first half of the book written by Teresa is all about spontaneous after-death communication directly to a person. And the second half is spirit communication and healing that takes place through the uh, practitionership of a medium. So it's just a beautiful book. And it also has got the voice of Dr. Julie Baishel in there, who has spoken about all her scientific studies with mediums she says that she can't prove an afterlife, but she can prove that not all mediums are fraudulent. Uh, so it's everybody's voice coming together. What I'm really about is having an open dialogue and an honest dialogue. It doesn't matter whether you agree with me or disagree with me. It's that we're talking. I want people to come and challenge my thoughts. Help me learn and we learn together. So Answers is the start of that. And then my new book that's coming out in September called What the Dead Are Dying to Teach Us, published by Watkins, um, is a, a continuation, but probably a bit meatier. It's all about what consciousness is, how you can have that contact with spirit, why they come back to us, what they're trying to make us realize, which is that we are spirit, how we can release fear of death, how we can release fear of spirit communication, all these things we've covered, and how we can live fuller for having this knowledge it's seven lessons i've taken from the spirit world coming back to me so i can't wait to share that because i just think it's going to be slightly different from what you normally read from a mediumship book if that makes sense Great. it's not how to do mediumship and it's not an autobiography it shares true stories and just gets everyone thinking so that we can start a conversation engage great fantastic i'll link to claire's website and details of the books below and Thank you very much indeed for coming on today. Thank you, Richard. Pleasure.